Dave Doerr is a um, pastor and on Resurgence.com, he wrote the following. Recently, a firefighter in our church was told by one of his colleagues that belief in Jesus was for weak people. I found that ironic coming from a firefighter. I have a fire hydrant in the yard that runs along the side of our house. I've never looked at the fire hydrant and felt any shame. I drive by a firehouse every day, and I never think, if this community didn't have weak people, we would never need firehouses. And when I pay my property taxes every month, taxes that help finance fire departments, I never get angry at myself thinking, if I could just handle fires on my own, I wouldn't have to write this check. Imagine a person whose house is on fire. The fire is raging out of control, and soon a fire truck pulls up, sirens blaring. A person runs out of the house in a rage says, How dare you come to my house and think that I can't handle this fire all by myself? Firefighters are for weak people. Firefighters are not for me because I'm not weak, right? What would you think of someone like that? You would think they were insane. They were a fool. We know that firefighters, fire departments are for weak people. People, because a power exists that we simply can't deal with on our own fire actually we admire firefighters because there are people who have committed themselves to take on the power of fire at personal expense in the same way christians are weak in the same sense that the community is weak for having fire departments they are people who acknowledge that there is a power that exists that they can't confront and live. It's their own sin and the holiness of a just and righteous God. Indeed, we are weak people. Are you willing to admit your weakness and ask for the Lord's help in your life? In Psalm 130, the psalmist was. He was more than willing to ask for help acknowledging his weakness. So turn with me as we continue our time through the Psalms of Ascent. These Psalms from Psalm 120 through 134, these are Psalms that we believe that the Israelites would sing as they made their way up to Jerusalem from wherever they lived in the nation of Israel three times a year for feasts as they would make their way up. Uh, they would sing these psalms, or at least some of them, to themselves. And thus, as they made their way up, these are called the Psalms of Ascent. And this psalm in particular ascends from the depths to the heights. Follow as I read. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is 
plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There are four things that I want to point out, four points that I have that correspond to four stanzas. The four stanzas divide up verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, and 7 and 8. So the four points, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, we see the psalmist's cry. His cry to the Lord. In verses 3 and 4, we see the psalmist's the psalmist confidence in the Lord and before the Lord. In verses 5 and 6, we see the psalmist's commitment to wait on the Lord. And then in Psalm, in verses 7 and 8, we see the psalmist's counsel to his fellow Israelites. First of all, notice the psalmist's cry in verse, verses 1 and 2. It starts out, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. We often come to cries like this, to appeals like this that are made in prayer by God's people, especially the psalmist, again and again. Uh, we, we see these kinds of things. For example, in Psalm 30, verse, verse 2, we read this. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought me up. You have brought up my soul from Sheol, that is, from death. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. We see there that the psalmist's cry was for physical help, physical healing, if you will, and the Lord heard and answered. In Psalm 40, if you want to turn there, it starts out like this in verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then if we jump over in Psalm 40 to verses 13 through 15, we get a glimpse, we get an understanding of, of what the situation was for the psalmist. What was it that, that he needed help with? Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. What was the situation there? It was physical danger from enemies, those who wanted to do the psalmist harm and so he cried out to the lord and the lord heard him what is the situation here in psalm 130 is he crying out because of illness no is he crying out because of enemies no what then well considering the whole psalm we see he's crying out because of sin because of sin because of his sin and his need for mercy and for forgiveness. Let your ears be attended to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, that is sin, O Lord, who could stand? The psalmist is very aware of his need. And in this case, it's a need for forgiveness of sin. You know, a lot of people will cry out to the Lord 
when they have a what we call a felt need, right? Maybe it is a need uh, for physical healing. Maybe it is a need for deliverance from a relationship that is difficult or challenging. Maybe it's a financial need, any number of needs. If the need is felt strongly enough, often people will cry out to the Lord for deliverance. But sometimes I wonder how long does that sense of need and that commitment to the Lord last. We've all heard of foxhole conversions, you know, in times of war when someone would cry out to God, save me and I'll serve you. And there's no doubt some of those have been real, some of those have been legitimate, but how many of those lasted only until whoever the soldier was was out of danger and that's it. Many people will ask for God's help in their time of need, but as soon as the need passes, they're on with their lives, never giving a moment's thought to God. <coughs> but there is a need that never passes. There is a need, there is a, a weakness that we have, that we experience, that we need the Lord's help for and from at all times. And that's our need for forgiveness from sin. We see sometimes we fall into acute sin. What I mean by that is, is something that we know we have truly failed the Lord and others significantly. Now, I don't want to minimize any sin, but there are some sins that have a greater effect, not only on us, but on others as well. Such was the sin that David, King David, committed when he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, and then to cover up his sin because she became pregnant, he had her husband essentially murder her husband Uriah. And when David was confronted with that sin, he recognized his need for forgiveness. What did he do? He cried out to the Lord. And in Psalm 51, we read this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What did David do when he was confronted with his sin? He, he cried out to the Lord for mercy and for forgiveness. Let me ask you, those of you who are seeing me and hearing my voice, where are you in your relationship with the Lord today? Do you have a personal saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you recognized that you are a sinner in need of salvation from your sin? Have you recognized and admitted to the Lord that you are a sinner and that what you have earned by your sin is God's justice, His judgment, His wrath even. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is what? 
eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or maybe even you have received Christ as Savior and Lord, but perhaps you have allowed something to creep in to your life. Some hidden sin, some secret sin that no one knows about but you. Are you willing to confess that to the Lord? Are you willing to cry out to the Lord in your heart for mercy and forgiveness? You'll never, you'll never find release until you confront your sin, confess your sin, and turn from your sin. And you can have confidence that the Lord will not only hear your confession, but He will have mercy. He will forgive. And that's what we see in the second point, the psalmist's confidence. He writes in verses 3 and 4, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, or if you could, should make a record of wrongs, of sins, who could stand? What's the answer to that question? No one, right? If God, if, if all God did was take note of our sins and that was it, who could stand? No one. B but, isn't that, but is one of the greatest words in Scripture, right? Because the Scripture often will, will point our terrible plight, but then the but points us to God's mercy and grace in Christ. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Thankfully, we know that there is forgiveness with God for sin. We, can, we see that in the book of Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Paul writes about how God can be merciful and gracious to us. <clears throat> In Romans 3, beginning verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth, put forward as a propitiation, that is an atoning sacrifice, by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. See, those in the Old Testament, like the psalmist, they were saved, as it were, on credit, looking forward to the finished work of Christ and all the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament under the law, they were but pictures, images, types of the one final sacrifice that would be made by Christ. And so Paul says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We can be justified, that is declared right in God's sight because Christ has taken the penalty for sin for all who would put their trust in Him. <clears throat> One of the things that we need to understand is that while justification is 
something that occurs at a particular point in time. Repentance is a lifelong habit for Christians. Not that we need to get saved again, but we need to experience the reality of knowing God's forgiveness, of being free from the guilt, because unfortunately, sin is a lifelong experience for all of us. John writes in 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. Repentance for sin is not something we do only initially at the beginning of the Christian life. It's a lifelong disposition and habit, even for followers of Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote this, When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. In other words, the closer you get to the Lord, the more the light shows up your sin, your impurity. The further you get from the Lord and His light, the less you're able to see that sin that still remains in you. We need, if we want to have confidence that the Lord is merciful and that He forgives, we need to deal with our sins. We need to reckon, even as believers, with the fact that we still struggle with sin and we still need the Lord's forgiveness. We need to recognize that it's not something we earn by our obedience. It's not something that, that we get from coming to church. It's not something we get by singing on the praise team, or preaching God's Word, it's something that comes to us freely when we turn from our sin, confess our sin, and trust in what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Forgiveness, past, present, and future, has all been purchased by the blood of Christ. There's forgiveness by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One of the things that we need to understand is that Satan will fight us at this point. All right? He will accuse us. He is the, the accuser, the slanderer of believers in Christ. And he will tell you there is no forgiveness for you you how many times have you done that how many times have you gossiped and said you would not do it again have you repented how many times have you lusted and said you would never do it again but you did how many times have you gotten angry lost your temper said you would never do it again and you did it how many times have you sinned that same thing and repented said i'll never do it again but you did forget it you you have passed the line of God's forgiveness. That's a lie. There is forgiveness with the Lord. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I love this verse from the song Before the Throne of God Above. The second verse says this, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see Him, 
Jesus there who made an end of all my sin. You see, when, when we sin, we don't look to our obedience or disobedience. We look to Christ who paid for our sins, all of our sins. Did you notice that last phrase in verse 4? Let me read the whole verse. But you, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Feared? Shouldn't it say loved? Thanked? We need to understand what the Bible means when it speaks of the fear of the Lord. It's not talking about a cowering, shrinking, uh, uh, afraid that, that God's going to get you for that kind of thing. That's not what it's referring to. It's talking about a holy reverence for God. The great English pastor Charles Spurgeon rephrased this verse, translated it like this. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be loved and worshipped and served. We are led to worship the Lord and serve Him even more when we know He has forgiven us, when we know there is forgiveness. It doesn't lead us to a flippant attitude of, you know, I can sin all I want, you know. No, it leads us to wanting to live a life of obedience to the Lord. It leads us to fear, to walk in the fear of the Lord. That is seeking to please Him, seeking to obey Him. The third point is the psalmist's commitment. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. What is he waiting for? What is, well, he says he's waiting for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. Why? Well, whenever we sin, there's a sense of loss of fellowship with the lord isn't there if you don't understand if you don't know that then maybe you never had it to begin with but when we sin we there is a sense of loss of fellowship again in psalm 51 david says this restore to me the joy of your salvation that's verse 12 and uphold me with a willing spirit david didn't lose his salvation when he sinned but he lost the joy of his salvation and what was the psalmist wanting what was he waiting on he was waiting for that to return james boyce writes this the psalmist is waiting for God himself. It is God whom he has offended by a sin, and it is fellowship with God that has been broken and needs to be restored. Notice that the forgiveness does not depend on his feeling forgiven. He is forgiven whether he feels it or not, because he has asked God for it, and God has promised to forgive. Now he also wants the intimacy with God that should and will follow, and he is waiting for it. He is waiting in faith. Stephen Lawson adds this, For what specifically was he waiting? Forgiveness had already been granted and received. He was waiting for a full restoration by God of his divine power and peace. 
He was waiting for that sense of, of God's pleasure to be restored to him. Again, as David wrote, the joy of his salvation. Who among us hasn't experienced the sense of loss of intimacy with God, of deep fellowship with God because of our sin? And I believe there is another aspect of this waiting for the Lord, or maybe, maybe it's an application more than an aspect, and that is this. When we sin and repent and experience the Lord's forgiveness and the joy of our salvation, that sense of fellowship is restored, we're reminded also of the fact that we have not yet arrived, right? That maybe we're not as far along as we thought we were. We certainly realize that we're not yet perfect. It's a reminder to us that we still need what we call sanctification, right? That is growth in godliness. That we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's going to take that long. You're not going to be completely like the Lord Jesus until you see him face to face. Sanctification is not a quick process. We have to wait for the Lord to continue to work in our lives. Those of you who planted a garden or know something about gardening, you understand that if you want to get tomatoes, you're talking matter of months, right? But if you want an oak tree, you're talking matter of decades, right? God is about the process of making sinners into people who look like the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to wait on that. It takes time. We have to wait on the Lord. It requires a commitment to a long obedience in the same direction. Well, the fourth and final thing we see here is the psalmist's counsel. I love this because up to this point, the psalmist has been focused on himself, his need of mercy, his need of forgiveness. But what does he say in verses 7 and 8? Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Oh, Israel. Hope in the Lord. He's speaking to His people now. He's speaking to others who are called by the name of the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. This is not just a personal, private thing. The psalmist wants others to experience what he has experienced as well. He wants others to know the mercy, the forgiveness of the Lord as he has experienced it. And so he, he points his brothers and sisters to the Lord. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord and in the Lord and not in anyone or anything else. Because if you know anything about Israel's history, they didn't have a good track record when it came to being faithful to the Lord. They were continually going after idols, after other gods, the gods of the nations around 
them. And again and again, God would call the people back to Himself. In Isaiah 1.18, we read this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They that are red, though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Who was he writing this to? Who was he speaking this to? He was speaking it to believers, God's people who were called by God's name. And yet they had fallen into sin. They had in their hearts and to an extent in their actions departed from obedience to the Lord. Isaiah 55. Go ahead and turn there because I'm going to read all 13 verses. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? There's a whole world of people doing that. A whole world of people that are seeking fulfillment, seeking purpose, even seeking forgiveness in things that will not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The psalmist's counsel is basically Isaiah's counsel. Return to the Lord, Israel. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Not in all of these idols that you're looking to. Hope in the Lord. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. There is restoration, reconciliation, redemption in the Lord. No matter what you have done no matter where you are in your walk 
I started this sermon with a story by Dave Doerr, but I didn't read to the end. Let me read the last paragraph. Doerr writes, Christians are weak in the same sense that a community is weak for having fire departments. There are people who acknowledge that a power exists that they can't confront and live, the holiness of God. This, however, is not a cause for shame because there was a man, Jesus, who dealt with that power at his own personal expense on a cross. When someone is rescued from the flames, they're not thinking about their weakness. They're overjoyed that someone would risk it all to save them. What about you? Are you weak? Are you willing to admit that not only you're weak, if you have not put your trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, you're dead. Spiritually dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. Will you turn from sin and self as a believer in Christ? Will you confess that you're a sinner? And not just that, but that deep, dark sin that no one else knows about, that habit, that propensity, that disposition, it may be an attitude, it may be an action. Are you willing to cry out to the Lord in the depths to deliver you, to forgive you, to have mercy, to restore you to intimate fellowship with Him? With the Lord, there is forgiveness. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, Lord, remind us that we will not be complete. We will not be completely delivered from temptation and from sin until we are no longer in these bodies, no longer living in the world as it now is. Father, help us to be willing to confront our sin, to confront our sinfulness, to repent of it, to trust in you and in your forgiveness through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray especially, Lord, for those who have heard this message, who have heard the gospel offer again and again and again, but have yet to truly repent, to truly put their trust in Christ alone for salvation. Lord, would you grant them today repentance that leads to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.